Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back today to follow up on the second planned message. message. Um, we're working through the topic of holiness. Uh, if you were here last week, um, and this is in response to God's call to his people to be holy. In 1 Peter 1.15, God says, be holy because I am holy. So we're working through the different aspects of that. Last week, we discussed God's role in our holiness, his matchless grace needed to call unholy people into relationship with a holy God for which he deserves our never-ending praise. This week, we will discuss our part, our role in our holiness, uh, namely faith and the obedience that flows from it. Could we do a slide, please, uh, Farid? So we're going to talk of, about faith a lot today. The um, Bible simply says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So as an aspect of holiness, we need to see how faith plays into that. If without faith, it's impossible to please God, and God calls us to be holy, then part of our holiness to God must involve this idea of uh, faith. We ended last week on a really interesting verse of scripture. Uh, slide, please, Fareed. <clears throat> There's a verse that uh, contains within it two kinds of holiness in one verse. And it's at Hebrews 10:14, And the verse is, for by one sacrifice, he has, meaning God, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What an interesting verse that is. Last week, we emphasized the first part of the verse, uh, a holiness or perfectness credited to us by God through faith as the only way for us to be made acceptable to him. This has already happened in the life of believers and is an act of God. God having made his children perfect in his sight. The second part of this verse, that we are at the same time being made holy, this indicates that within the experience of those who are declared perfect, there is an ongoing process in our lives, not yet completed, that we call sanctification. Sanctification is a process started and completed by God, but which we need to participate in to grow more and more into the likeness of Christ. So we are declared to be holy in our position, in God's view, but still called to pursue holiness in our lives. This is known as the already but not yet tension of Scripture. We are holy, but yet we're called to grow in holiness. I regret that I didn't start today's message last week and maybe prevent some of the questions and confused, confusion raised by, if taken by itself, or the incomplete and thus unbalanced message of last Sunday discussing only God's role in our holiness. Lesson learned there. The other comment I need to make regarding last week is regarding my examples. I need you to know that I believe that any time we are living outside the will of God, as our examples were, that we are on dangerous, perilous, and risky ground that is at the end of the day just not worth it. God will not be mocked. 
God's discipline is painful, and believers will regret living contrary to his word. We move outside of God's umbrella of protection when we are outside his boundaries and in grave danger of ruin. To whom much has been given, much will be required. So please know, I believe that, and no one is condoning or excusing lifestyles contrary to or rebellion to uh, the word of God. I mean, lots could be said there, right? Lots should be said about it. the churches coming alongside them, them being warned, warned, them being discipled, them being steered right in their lives. But that just wasn't the context of last week's message that was God's role in our holiness. So uh, please forgive me for any confusion that resulted from that. And by the way, um, thank you for your comments, your questions, your opinions about last week's message. I don't know who said what, but I'm glad for the attention you gave it, your protection of your families, your desire to live rightly before God, and I'm glad to have this chance to provide the necessary clarification and balance to these truths today. I apologize for any misunderstandings from last week's message. Actually, I hope you embrace, embrace this message today as strongly as you reacted uh, to last week's. <laughs> as promised, uh, this week we will focus on our part in the experience of our holiness. And this is, this is the proper order of things. First, understanding what God has done for us. In this case, providing holiness as a gift at the cost of the life of his son. And now, in light of that, in light of what God has done, considering what our response uh, to that should be. Out of gratitude, out of love for God, because he first loved us. To love, uh, honor, and please him in our lives. That is our part. That is the action part. Maybe Romans 12.1 says that best. Therefore, and Paul is talking about because all that God has done for us, as identified in chapters 1 through 11 in Romans, he ch starts chapter 12 with the therefore. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Actually, even our part, in our sanctification is dependent on God's Holy Spirit living in us to provide the desire, the power, and the conviction to live a life pleasing to God and accomplish anything we are discussing today. We need to understand that holiness is not limited to living a morally pure life, although that's a big part of it. But holiness extends to the attitudes and actions of living by faith in obedience to the will of God in whatever he directs. Let's uh, define holiness as we'll apply it today. For read the slide, please. Holiness is living by faith in conformity with the moral character of God and obedience to the will of God in whatever he directs. And that's where we are headed uh, today. So pursuing holiness in our lives calls us to do more than separate ourselves from the moral pollution of the world around us. God calls us to live by faith. What is faith? In a general sense, faith is simply a conviction that something is true. Slide for read, please. 
in the Bible, biblical faith is defined in Hebrews 11.1. 1, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. A confident expectation of a future action or event that will, in fact, we are confident happen. It just hasn't happened yet. For instance, I have faith I will watch the Super Bowl today. I'm confident it will happen. I bought the food. I got my giant sweatshirt ready. <laughs> actually, uh, actually, my daughters informed me, do not show up in anything that is not green. And we're still, still thinking about that, if I'm going to live this rebellious life today or not. <laughs> um, but I'm ready. And I, everything is set. I have every expectation that it will happen. It just hasn't happened yet. That's a definition, I guess, of faith appropriate for today. So, faith calls us to obey God even when obedience is costly, when it requires sacrifice, and in many places of the world is physically dangerous or life-threatening. Just tune in to Global Christian Relief or Voice of the Martyrs prayer apps and see what faith in Jesus is costing people in many parts of the world every day. Sometimes the will of God is unreasonable to the unbelieving world. A Christian farmer in Kansas is a case in point. When wheat is ready to be harvested, that work must be completed quickly, lest bad weather damage the crop or reduce its quality. Because of, the, the harvesting is, because of this, the harvesting is often done on a seven-day week schedule. But this farmer, convicted before God that Sunday should be observed uh, as the Lord's Day and a day of rest, refused to have his crews work on Sunday, even if a storm was approaching. To his unbelieving neighbors, this seemed illogical and unreasonable. He obeyed by faith what he believed to be the will of God, even if that was difficult and in human terms unreasonable and potentially costly to him. Interestingly enough, this farmer was the most prosperous in his area. Hmm. Uh, I also recall a few years ago the, the hubbub that erupted when Chick-fil-A refused to uh, open their stores on Sunday morning. Do you remember that? That was a very big deal. Them not opening on Sunday just didn't make sense to the world. It really didn't. So we have a multiple of examples of living by faith in Scripture, many enshrined in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. We, say, we see they are commended for their faith, leading to obedience even when not reasonable, convenient, or safe. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By some faith, jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment, they were all commended for their faith. In our time, a life of obedience calls us to a life contrary to our culture. Uh, of course, God wants me to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The big house, the power at work, comfortable retirement, doesn't he? Well, God isn't necessarily opposed to those things, but those are also not necessarily his highest goals for us. If you want to follow Jesus, he said, whoever wants to be great among you must be your slave. And Paul said, the rich should not put their hope in wealth, but hope in God to be rich in good deeds, generous and willing to share. It takes faith to pursue such biblical values when society around us is pursuing opposite goals, rather than pursuing happiness, perhaps God wants us to pursue holiness. Living by faith means that God ultimately upholds and blesses those 
who obey him and trust him for the consequences of obedience, good or bad. These may be of material nature or may be in the form of joy, contentment, purpose in life, uh, or trials in life. This is not a prosperity gospel. The lives of Abraham and Noah illustrate the obedience element of faith. Slide, please, Farid. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Not knowing where he was going. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. The call of Abraham is both a command and a promise, a command to leave his father's house and a promise from Genesis 15 that God would make him into a great nation. It's easy to gloss over these stories. Abraham went not knowing where he was going, and Noah persevered for 140 years to build the ark before it started to rain. 140 years, I'm impatient if God doesn't answer my prayers from last week. When the Bible says it's without faith, it's impossible to please God, what does that mean? Faith in what? Please God how? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith and not by sight. What does it mean to live by faith? How does God guide us in the myriad of decisions, priorities, and actions we need to take every day of our lives. Let's consider a definition of living by faith. Slide, please, Farid. Let's consider that living by faith means <clears throat> being conscious of and living in obedience to God's commands, heeding God's warnings, and with the expectation that God will fulfill his promises. This, I submit to you, is part of a uh, living a, a life by faith. These are God's guardrails, let's call them, his commands, warnings, and promises contained in his written word to us. We'll look at a few in a minute. They are his guidance on living a successful life as he would define it. These give us insider information by the author of life about how to succeed at life. How much of our lives are consciously lived by faith in God's guidance, or are we just doing the best we can with what general information we happen to have? Many Christians indicate a lack of guidance in their lives when actually God's will for many, many aspects of our lives has been revealed in the form of these commands, warnings, and promises. Living consciously within these guardrails of God's provides much in the way of guidance for our lives. Of course, and this is absolutely key to living a holy life, is a knowledge of and understanding of God's word. Jesus said in John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. What is obedience? God has revealed much of his will for us, not in the individual and personal promptings of the spirit, although that's ultimately part of it, but mostly and practically Slide for Farid, please. Mostly and practically, obedience is often simply making choice, choices in response to and orienting our lives around his promises, warnings, and commands, trusting that he knows what's best for us. This is a 
my most practical slide today. I hope you uh, think about this. Um, it's, it's not complicated, generally, to know what God's will is, but that doesn't mean it's easy to do, right? God says, obey your parents, obey your parents. If God says, um, <clears throat> do not be yoked to unbelievers, then don't be yoked to unbelievers. If God says, be humble, be humble. Obedience puts us under the umbrella of his protection. So, obedience is not always complicated, but that doesn't make it easy. Putting a fine point on this, I would even assert that. For read another slide, please. A lot of slides today. Um, living a life of faith. Here's my, uh, here's my assertion for us today. The extent to which we are living a life in light of the commands, warnings, and promises of God is the extent to which we are living a life of faith. The extent to which we are living a life of command, in light of the commands, warnings, and promises of God is the extent to which we are living a life of faith. So what would it look like to live a life of faith driven by promises and commands and warnings of God? Although Noah and Abraham are drastic examples of faith, to be sure, the path of obedience in our own everyday lives can also be contrary to human reason. I've seen people give up good jobs to pursue a career in ministry, not knowing where their support will come from. I know that Child Evangelism Fellowship headquarters in Arkansas gets people there just showing up. Some of them just walking down the street saying, I don't know why I'm here. God sent me here, and here I am. They get those people on a regular basis. Um, our, uh, a pastor in West Virginia, some of us know well, Rustin, uh, we worked with for years as a young man hitchhiked from Oklahoma, to Kansas, from Oklahoma to West Virginia, not knowing why, but went and continues 15 or 20 years later to lead an impactful ministry there. But even more in the routineness of our everyday lives, God's commands, promises, and warnings can provide much guidance. If we do not have conviction like the Kansas wheat farmer in obeying the will of God, as well as confidence in the promises of God, we will never persevere in holiness. How do we get conviction? How do we get this conviction? We learn the word of God and see as our lives unfold how inevitably, maybe not the way we thought or the timetable we had, we see that God is a promise keeper. Believing that he wants what's best for us Romans 5.8 and 8.32, and that his word will come to pass. A review of scripture reveals guidance and wisdom in every area of our lives, from our thought life to our spoken words to health, nutrition, family work, money, priorities, marriage, time, death, etc. There is no lack of guidance for us in God's word. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, I have more insight than all my teachers because I meditate on your statutes. We see it year after year. People come to our church from the world whose lives are just absolute train wrecks because living by the world's standards is almost always contrary to God's ways and people pay the price for it in their lives. But we also see if people are willing to live God's way, he can fix them and their lives, sometimes in miraculous ways, as I've personally seen 
in the past month. And I mean in mistakable, unmistakable, God-orchestrated supernatural ways. And these people know it. It doesn't take many of God's commands, promises, and warnings to guide a significant number of our decisions and provide us with guidance in many areas of our life. Here's just a few. I know they're going to be very small in here. Here's just a few uh, overarching scriptures, paraphrased, that direct our goals and attitudes. This is not meant to be an exhaustive list, just just a sample of some of the commands, warnings, and promises that God provides in his word. And we're just going to pick out one or two of these and just see how even just living by a couple of these can affect many areas uh, of our lives. You know, these are God's ways. Do everything for the glory of God. Go and make disciples. Delight yourself in the Lord. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Do nothing out of ambition or, or conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Live this life with an eternal perspective. Honor God with your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. Just let's think about the last two. And there's, and there's many more in Scripture. Just, just teasing these out to, to think about how completely living by God's ways uh, can change our lives. Just the last one alone. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful, helpful for building others up from Ephesians 4. How would your life be different if every day you set out determined that the words from your mouth would be encouraging to people, that would build people up, that would, be, um, that would be positive, that would honor God and other people. Just think of how different that would be. Just that one, that one uh, command of God, uh, that if we had that attitude every day, how different our lives would be and how ble- what a blessing we'd be in the lives of others. And then the, the next one up, Honor God with your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. What a huge uh, thing this is and has so many implications about taking care of ourselves, being healthy, avoiding, abusing all kinds of things we could put into our body. It's all about uh, keeping ourselves healthy and keeping our body functioning well because it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So just a few examples of how just a few of God's parameters um, can help, help us to steer our lives in many different areas of our lives. I want to hit just a few uh, warnings that God has. Okay, Fareed, slide please. Just a couple warnings. If we would just take God at his word and respect his warnings, how much better off we would be. James, from James chapter 4, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Wouldn't it be great to be able to live? like that every day. Matthew 12, you must give an account for every idle word spoken. Um, 2 Corinthians 6, don't be yoked with unbelievers. Colossians 2, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies that come from human thinking rather than from Christ. This is just a couple of the many, many warnings uh, in God's word that should we choose to respect them to heed them will make our lives better. Promise, just a couple more promises and warnings. Mark 8, 38. Uh, slide, please, Fareed. Um, Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me, um, he will be ashamed of us when he comes back. 
How much of our lives would that change if we uh, lived like that? 1 Corinthians 10, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. And then, of course, we could go right through the book of Proverbs, which contains many, many uh, things of guidance and wisdom for us. Just a couple. Proverbs 3, acknowledge God and trust him, and he will show you the way. And then one of my favorite, especially for a young person, I'll just quote it. I have paraphrased it here, but he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. What great advice. Just that one piece of advice for a young person, how much that could change their lives. So again, these are just examples of the wisdom of God's word and um, the scope of God's word, should we choose to avail ourselves of this wisdom. Uh, lots of promises on money. I love these because we love our money, don't we? We think about money all the time. God says in Malachi 3.10, uh, next uh, slide, please, Fred. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for it. What a promise that is from God. And this is the only place in the Bible I'm aware that he says, test me. Test me in this. God says, test me in the area of money, something that you think is so important. Test me in this. Be faithful with your money, and I will be faithful to you. What a great verse. Second, also, these are all about money. Second Corinthians 9, he who sows generously reaps generously. Matthew 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but in heaven, all of these, the context is money. So um, just, to, just to close for a minute, any of these Commands, warnings, and promises of God uh, can occupy a significant part of our lives, and taken together, they constitute guidance from God for many, if not all, areas of our lives. God has given us much practical advice to guide us into living fulfilling, joyful, and holy lives. He's done his part. We should do ours to benefit uh, from them. As we grow in the likeness of Christ and yield more and more to his spirit, uh, someday becoming what we already are to God. The good news is someday our experience will catch up with our position and we will be in our experience how God already sees us in our position. That's a great day to look forward to when we get to heaven, and that happens. So that's the message for today. Uh, church, blessings to you, and thank you for listening.